As you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to or ask you to turn to Acts chapter 1 and 2. We're going to, you know, haven't had weeks leading up to this to make a special event. We often have a Pentecost Sunday, but we haven't this year. And with everything that's happening elsewhere in the world, I think that this day in the church calendar has um, lost some of its attention, which is fine. God knows. But we're going to read the story of Pentecost, and I appreciate Christy bringing our attention afresh to some of the things in the world that are are happening. Um, You might think that multiple global lockdowns is enough, uh, but there's lots going on to weep over, or that is definitely classified as not good, that doesn't even have anything to do with the spread of a quick spread of a virus. And even wondering how much of... uh, these tensions and boilovers are connected with just the stress and strains of life being different than it ever has been for us. But I want to read the story of the day of Pentecost, and I want to look at this story from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, really looking at it from the perspective of um, the history of languages and races in the world. Because something goes on with Pentecost when God sends his spirit into the world. That's a really big deal to the Lord. And I'm not sure we always catch what is exactly is happening there. And so if it sounds like I'm, we're reading lots of Bible this morning, amen. Send me an encouragement. We're Christians. <laughs> That's the point. We're supposed to be listening to God and getting as much God as possible. Whenever you have a day where you've read more tweets than scripture, it's probably not going to help you in the long run. Amen? Because these ears never close. Even when you're asleep, you're listening. That's one of the weirdest things about us. When you're sleeping, you close your eyes, you close your mouth, you know, you breathe in and out, but you're always listening, even when you're asleep. So what you listen to is really important. And if we're not listening to the Lord, we're listening to somebody else with consequences. But let's read together Acts, part of chapter 1, starting in verse 6, and then part of chapter 2 as well. And I'll make comments as I'm reading this, and we'll also be um, in Genesis for a bit, probably Revelations for a bit as well. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, these are the very words of God. So when they'd come together, and this is the disciples after Jesus had been raised from the dead, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he, lift, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. And so here is the mission of the church. Starting with a few disciples, the people who had been walking with Jesus, who lived in Jerusalem, Um, 
and in Israel in that area thinking, okay, Jesus, now that you're back from the dead, are you going to fix everything? Fix Israel. Put us back to the place where we're ruling over the world and make heaven come down. Is this now is the time? And Jesus says, what are you even talking about? The Father's going to get that done on his own schedule. Your job is to wait until you're filled with the Spirit and then be my witnesses throughout the entire world, launching global missions. And you're supposed to do that, I think the idea is, until Jesus comes back. That's how the progression goes. Is now the time for heaven on earth? Why are you even asking? Wait for the Spirit. Go on global missions, and Jesus will come back. That's the mission of the church, to be about Spirit-filled global missions until we see the man God come back on the clouds. Clear so far? All I've done is kind of say back to you what the Scripture says. Okay. So they're waiting in Jerusalem, they're praying, there's about 50 days between when Jesus is raised from the dead and when this event happens on Pentecost, and they're praying together, they've, they've refilled the office of Judas because Judas was killed, so they've re, renumbered themselves back to 12. And then it says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were in, dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Awesome. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speaking in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, and Elamites, sorry, yeah, we hear in our own native language, excuse me. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. All right, so what's going on at this part here is that they're in probably the temple, in the upper room of the temple, and they're praying together. And then the Holy Spirit comes on the church in a new way for a new empowerment. And the visible expression of this empowerment that he chooses is fiery tongues. Like the things we use to speak our languages. And the tongues of heaven come down and land on the disciples. And they begin to be speaking in languages. Most of them languages that they don't normally speak. That aren't their own tongue. And as they spill out of their prayer room. So they weren't having a Calvary Chapel prayer time. Which is kind of like really quiet. With lots of waiting. They spill out praising God's name. And a crowd assembles, and because Pentecost was a time where people would pilgrimage to Jerusalem, there were people from all over the known world in Jerusalem. 
to worship the true God, including, it says, proselytes. So people who were not natural Jews who came to be worshipers of the true God had arrived in and were spending time in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And all of a sudden they see all these maniac prayer praisers spilling out of one room, declaring God's praises in their own native languages. And they have no idea what was going on, naturally. But they wanted to know, naturally. Except for the people who thought they were drunk. So far, so good? But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem. Let it be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So it's 9 a.m. So you have to be pretty committed to be drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning. And some people do that. And this is one of the side effects of the lockdown, I think, where, you know, uh, alcohol is an essential service. And their money, the government's giving you money. And it's a bit of a joke, but seriously, there has been major spikes in um, drug abuse and, and people needing to be rescued for overdoses because the government says, stay home and here's money. And so this is, this is not good. But this is what they think is going on here. And he says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I could keep going, and maybe should, but I'm going to stop right there because I want to talk about this languages event. That Pentecost was tongues of fire from heaven coming down and producing tongues of speech in men in order to address all the different tongues of the people who are worshipping in Israel. And in Greek, it's just one word, glossolalia or glosses. It's all just, the word for a language and the word for tongues is just, there's just only one word, it's tongues. It's the tongues of heaven producing tongues in men to speak to the tongues of the nations that were gathered in Judea. And this was Pentecost. And so I want to do a bit of a history of languages. Um, the world is divided up into languages. Have you noticed that? And languages, in one sense, is kind of like the basic division of people groups. If you can't speak the same language, you can't relate. You can't associate. You can't connect. And so even though... Um, with the events that are happening in the States, it's, it's the narrative of black and white has kind of grabbed hold of it right away. In one sense, as people who share the same language, we have a lot more in common than other people who might have similar skin colors but don't speak the same language. My wife and I, two years ago, we had our gotcha date. It was two years ago last week where we went to Bulgaria for the second time to go pick up our adoptive son. And we were in a nation where we did not speak the same language. And we felt it every single day. And whatever was going on, you know, many Bulgarians understood English, but I don't know if they liked the fact that English speakers were there. So we would speak to people in English. You know, they they would ring up our stuff at the grocery store, and they'd be like, blah, 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 whatever. I don't, don't do a good Bulgarian impression. 
and won't even try this morning. And then we say to them, do you speak English? And they would, they would just, you know, understand that we asked them that, but still be talking to us in their home language because they didn't feel any impulse to kind of welcome us as visitors. And so we'd figure out the numbers and stuff. But um, even though we had the same skin color, we weren't the same people. But at Pentecost has been the, the racial tension or the people group tension and Pentecost have been making me think about languages. And it reminds me that biblically, different languages is a judgment from God. Having people divided by languages is a judgment or started with a judgment from God, but is part of the glory of God in the world and in Christ and in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so I want to, this is the big picture here, and this is, Pentecost is going to find its place here. But so I'm going to work us through the Bible and and hopefully we'll understand this because I want us during this time where you're kind of feeling racial tensions and separations of people group tensions and Christy was sharing stories through, from other places in the world where there's people group tensions like this. We all know that there's a problem. Hardly anybody participates with God's solution. We all know that there's a problem, but if we're not on board with God's solution, we're just making things worse. Amen? And so the big picture today, arm-waving, is that Pentecost is God's solution to racial problems. That's why on the day of Pentecost, God had engineered for people from different people groups, it says, through all the nations of heaven, to be there on that day. And then he didn't just, you know, when the fire came down, he didn't just have fiery preaching in Hebrew or Greek or Latin or whatever, the dominant languages. of. He had them preaching the praises of God to every single people group that were gathered in that nation to say, I am doing something with the separations of peoples through Pentecost, that the Spirit is my solution to the divisions of languages. That's the point. That's the point. Not, not, you know, what the Corinthians did, where it's how you prove you're really spiritual. Shakalaka, shukajuku. I'm more spiritual than you. Shakalaka, shakalaka, shakalaka. You know, that was, that was Corinth, but that was not God's plan. God's plan is that this outpoured spirit of God onto all flesh is his solution to the divisions. But we also humbly need to know that the divisions are from God as well. Okay, so if you remember, let's go back to Genesis for a little bit. When God created the world, he created the world um, gloriously and wonderfully. When he finished creating on that sixth day, he looked it all over and said, it is very good. And his original creation was full of differences for the glory of God. You remember the first day? What did he do there? He separated darkness from light. And that separation was a good thing. He looked at, yes, it's so good to have, because he showed up into the formless void of nothingness. That was tohu wabohu earth. And he showed up and he said, this isn't great. This isn't, doesn't fit my plans to fill the world full of my glorious creation. And he separates light from darkness. And he said, this is a great separation. The light I'm going to call day and the darkness night. And I'm going to take a break. And then he picks it up the next day. And what does he do? He separates water from water. Water above and clouds and rain and waters below and seas. And he doesn't call that good because he hasn't actually accomplished anything that's good for making life yet. But on the third day, he makes another separation. He separates water 
creature from earth. And this is good because now he's got some earth so he can start making some living creatures that are going to live on it. And then he has this double creation day where he makes the first living beings, which are plants. Now the vegetarians can lay hold of this one and be like, yeah, they were first. Respect. Respect the plant. They were here first. Okay. And then on the next day, what day four, he goes back into the sky again. And he starts separating days and weeks and seasons by making the sun and the moon and the stars and making them rule over time. And then the next day, he goes to fill up the sky and fill up the sea with birds and fish and swimming things. And he's calling it good all along. And there's all these different things. And the sixth day, he makes the beasts of the field. And he makes man and woman in his image. And and he's making them according to their kinds, you remember, along the way. And he's filling up his world with all these things that are different. And it's good. Different and good. He didn't just make, like, one thing. I'm going to make the sea, and I'll fill it with plankton. Yay for me. Plankton. It's important stuff. But it's boring. He didn't just make one kind of tree. You ever notice that? There's all kinds of trees. Dad joke alert. He didn't just make the poplar. Because it's real poplar. And just say, good enough. You know, he made all different kinds of trees. And some of them are deciduous and they lose their leaves according to the seasons and some of them are the coniferous and they keep their really sharp pointy leaves which we call needles all year long and and he made them all different and they work together and he made plants and and animals need to work together the plants make the oxygen they eat sunlight and make oxygen and we eat plants and make carbon dioxide and we're always trading back and forth the stuff we need to live and it all comes from god and it's glorious and there's differences and it's great amen and he makes man and woman his, his image bearer. And they're, they're different. And it's great. And that's what chapter 2 is all about. How God starts off with Adam. There's this one dude. And, and he's mostly okay because he's got work to do. You know, he's farming and gardening, tent, tent and garden. And he's got some animals, which some people think is all you need in life. Something to do in a dog. But it's not okay because he's got this job to fill the entire planet full of babies. And he can't do it alone. And so God takes it and he makes this most intimate creative act ever where he takes Adam and he wounds Adam and he breaks Adam. And out of Adam's own side, he makes someone who is the same and different from him. And then he wakes Adam up and he's formed this woman. And Adam sings this song and says, now you've really done it, God. You have made someone who is just like me and so different. This is amazing. And then Adam and Eve are meant to come together and in their oneness make all these kids who are the same and different from them as well. Right? Like when you look at kids, they're just like, they're just like you, they're just like me, and they're totally different. You ever have that feeling? You look just like me, and where did your personality come from? Or you, look, you act just like me, but you don't look like me at all, and they're all the same and different. And it's meant to be glorious. But what happens in chapter 3 of the Bible is all the sameness and the differentness that God made good gets totally destroyed by, by greed and envy and mistrust. And the serpent shows up and starts speaking to the woman and the man's right there too and says to them, 
You know this God who's given you all this stuff? He's given you life and given you this garden, given you this word, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, this God, he's got some, some God privilege here that's really producing some inequality in your life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil symbolically represented God's right to judge. That's what it means in Hebrew. The knowledge of good and evil is the ability to tell between right and wrong and the capacity to judge wrong from right. That's what it is. It's, it symbolizes God's godness of judge of the world. And the snake is there to say, you know, it's not good for God to be the judge. You, you deserve to be the judge too. You can do it. You can be God. This inequality is not right that God would think that he alone has the right to be God. And so they took the fruit and they ate it and the result was that death entered the world through all kinds of catastrophic divisions. So I'll read parts of chapter 3 with you. Not the part to the snake, but God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that desire for your husband is a is very difficult to translate from the Hebrew, but essentially it means your desire is to capture and control or to overtake. And uh, so the consequence for the fall for humanity in this pronouncement is that the unity that is meant to be there between mother and children or parents and children is now going to be full of pain. The division of pain, the division of rejection, the division of, of uh, generation gaps. Anybody ever experienced that? And the unity that is meant to be there be- between husband and wife as people who are different and one is now characterized by the division of power struggle, of mistrust, of, of usurpation and dominance, the bad kind. And then God goes to Adam and says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, a.k.a. instead of listening to the voice of God, and have eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat, cursed be the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all of your days. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of, the, out of it you were taken, and from, for you are dust, and out of the dust you shall return. And essentially what God is saying there is, Adam, you were meant to be unified with this earth that you were taken out of. You were meant to work it and tend it and bring out the best of it. And it was meant to serve you and provide for you and be my provision for you. Now you are catastrophically divided from it. And it's going to resist you and it's going to fight you. You're going to make cars and they're just going to rust out. You're going to make airplanes. They're going to crash. You're going to make medicines and they're going to produce cancer in you. Everything you do is going to fight against you until this this earth that was meant to be your servant is going to consume you in death and be your grave. So all these divisions are coming into the world because of people dividing themselves from God. We were meant to be one with God. We were meant to worship Him and submit to Him and obey Him and treat His words, which He made everything out of. He made everything out of His words and treat His word like it was a beautiful, precious treasure to hear from God speaking and not um, a prison and a punishment to obey God. But they said, no, we want to be divided from obedience to God. And they ended up divided from God and divided from life and divided from each other and from their children and from the earth. And all these divisions are piling up as just judgments and just responses to rejecting God. 
Well, what does this have to do with languages? Well, a few chapters later, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. This comes after Noah. And if you remember chapter 1, God had commissioned humanity with this mission to increase and multiply and to fill the earth. And this is God's plan for the human race. We were always meant to be God's image bearers going out and conquering new lands so that when when explorers from Europe end up in the Arctic, they, they go, there's people here already? You know, when people who have spent hundreds of years working on their ship craft sail from Europe and find Hawaii, they go, well, there's people here already? How did this happen? Like, God had blessed them to go everywhere. And and I, I still can't figure out how people ended up in Hawaii. There's, oh, somebody made boats. and then, that, What? Like, how did they ever get... It's in the middle of nowhere. That's why we spend money to fly there now. Because nobody else can get there. It's, it's so in the middle of nowhere. When people show up, we've made great ships with sails so big and we get scurvy when we try to sail. There's people there already. What? That's the power of God. And the power of his blessing. Increase, multiply, fill the earth. But there was this moment in human history called the Tower of Babel where humanity united against that call, against that command. And this is the story. Now the whole earth had one language in the same world, words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. This is just rebellion. We don't want to leave. We want to build a tower that goes into heaven. We're going to usurp God and make a glorious name for ourselves. Instead of worshiping the God of heaven for the glory of his name going throughout the earth to spread the knowledge of God by imitating him in the world. And the Lord came down. You see, their tower was so big that the Lord had to take the elevator down to the basement to go and see it. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. It's just funny. It's meant to be funny. They're working on this big tower. We're so awesome. Same guys who make the sails. We made a tower. It's so tall. It's raining down here, but it's still sunny upstairs. And God's just like, oh, man. Jesus, hand me the telescope. No, no, no. We're going to need the ones with the digital magnification. Click, 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 click. Oh, it looks like they're working on something down there. He came down to see the tower, which the children of men had built. The children of men. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. This is the birth of language. That humanity united together against the Lord to try to usurp him in rebellion as an echo of what happened in the garden. And God said, no. No. I'm just going to make you all develop your own local dialects over time and you're not going to be able to work together and instead you're going to 
be in constant conflict with each other so that you don't unite in your rebellion against me. That is the story of language. And it's kind of true. It's kind of true. Well, it's actually really true. So, on this day of Pentecost, when we're hyper aware of national tensions, people fighting over who was responsible for COVID, when we're super aware of racial tensions and people evaluating everything by the tone of the pixels on your iPhone screen that represent skin color on a photograph, when, that, when that's the whole story, when um, different racial issues are the only issue and it all goes back to languages and divisions by language on Pentecost we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is God's answer to those divisions and how this worked out practically in the church for the for years in the church remember the church was born in Jerusalem and for years it stayed there it was going to be just the jewish phenomenon they're preaching to themselves they're growing you know every once in a while the apostles get thrown in prison again and they celebrate they have their own covid lockdown party inside the prisons and then they come out happy considering themselves worthy to be beaten for the name of jesus and then they perform some more miracles and they get in more trouble and uh, it was just going to be a racially exclusive, if I can put it like that, geographically exclusive event as they're preaching to themselves until Jesus returns. But, and so it was, it was starting to like work towards being a bit of a Tower of Babel event. Even though Jesus told them before he left, the ends of the earth are your mission field. That's where you're supposed to go. That's your phase three let down from the lockdown. You know, phase one... Jerusalem. Phase two, Samaria. Phase three, everywhere else. And, uh, but they, they weren't getting on it super quick. And so some persecutions came and some preaching went. But one of the big events was Peter getting called to Cornelius' house. Do you remember this? So Cornelius was a believer in God, but he was not a Jew. And Peter is told by the Holy Spirit to go to his house and start preaching the gospel. And as Peter is beginning to explain about Jesus, killed for sin and raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit falls on the group of people falling. And they begin to manifest the Spirit. And they begin to speak in tongues. And Peter is sitting here watching all these not-the-right-skin-colored people. You know, Peter's got the olive-colored skin and whatever else. He was Judean, and you got all these Romanesque, maybe like Northern Italian or darker, but maybe it's Southern Italian, a bit lighter, and some slaves. And most of the slaves were from Europeans. If you ever wonder where all the Europeans were in the Bible, they were the slaves because Julius Caesar had gone into Europe a few times to kill the Gauls, and who he didn't kill, he came back as slaves. And so when you read about slaves being told what to do in the New Testament, that's usually French and German people, or at least their ancestors. But anyhow, he's preaching to them and they're all the wrong people and all of a sudden they get filled with the Spirit and now they're the right people. And the church takes a long time to figure out that this is going on. But this is, this is God's plan. This is God's plan for racial division. Preach Jesus and when people get filled with the Spirit, they're the right people. That's the plan. 
And even saying that, I'm already afraid because a million questions pop up. And a million stories of it not working pop up. And you think, this can't be the plan because it probably won't work. And then something rises in my soul and I go, you know what doesn't work? Killing the Messiah does not work. But it worked. Telling people if you believe in Jesus raised from the dead and you can't see him and won't meet him because he lives in Jesus, that won't get people saved, but it worked. And saying to people, the Holy Spirit is what is going to help people live together, it won't work. It will work. It will work because God is going to do it. And He does do it. And if our plan as a church does not rely completely on God doing it, it's probably not His plan. Boom! We are so good in the West at coming up with plans that only depend on God when our plans start to fail. Help me today, church. Isn't it right? Don't we always want to just imitate the world? Ah! When I hear Christians talking about like identity politics and privileges, I want to scream. Their plans aren't working. Why would we want to imitate that? When we have the Spirit of God, I know why. Because their plans don't involve us dying for anybody. Their plans don't involve the bloodshed of the saints going out to be martyrs and missionaries. And we don't want that either. So let's get the world's plans that don't cost us anything but tax dollars. And then everything will be, no, no, it has to be the Spirit. It has to be the cross or it's crap. It's not going to work. Do you want to die having done no good? Sorry, I know some of you got invited in here to get yelled at, and you could turn down the volume if you were at home or be like, isn't there some, just let's do an old Piper sermon, or Rick Warren's probably preaching something, or one of those more encouraging guys like Steve Furtick, you know, he's probably telling me how I can do something encouraging right now because he's not one melancholic preacher like Rob. But, but seriously, church, I am drop dead serious. It has to be the Spirit. It has to be the cross. Or we will regret it forever. We will have wasted our lives. Wasted our lives. Wasted our time. These short years. Don't you know we die so easy? It has to be the cross. That's what God is doing. And you know what? Half the time... We won't see the good. We'll get the opportunity to despair that we've thrown our lives away. Because we're the microwave culture and if we don't feel like Jesus is making a move in the five minutes after we asked him to do it. We, we, we assume something's gone wrong. And now we need to buy the next book and download the next DVD and Im- well, imitate the next thing. Why can't we just be more like Bethel? Why? We got to be more like Bethel. Something good's happened over at Bethel. So we got to do the Bethel thing. So we're so, we so just don't want to have to seek him for ourselves. We don't want to have to suffer through the prayers and the agonies of finding out what God wants to do through us. So we're going to download what God's doing through somebody else because we're just, we don't want to have to be disciples. 
What's the easiest way to make my life count, Jesus? What's the most entertaining way to make my life count, Jesus? There isn't one. There never will be one. It's the cross. It's always going to be the cross. It's 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 going to be the cross. And it terrifies me. (laughs) I'm so Canadian. Can I at least take a Tylenol before I say yes to the cross? No, there's no, there's no numbing the cross. Ah. Every, don't you want a spirit-filled revival like Pentecost? Anybody? Yeah? How many days before they ended up in prison? After Pentecost hit? One? Two? I don't know, a week? So, me and some of the other staff here, we've been talking a lot about discipleship and what to do leading the church during this COVID time and in the future. And, and we were talking about where the, where the roadblocks and where the struggles were with, with stuff. We were talking about different materials we could bring in. Should we make it ourselves? Should we bring in something else? Do we need to have a... a group for this thing? What about a marriage course, a parenting course? What about an outreach course? We can do this course. And, and we're talking about it, and I just asked the question, isn't the problem not that we're not running enough courses? Isn't the problem that people don't want to do it? And then you just kind of sit there quietly. Yeah, 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 you know. We actually already run some really good stuff that nobody comes to. Like, the church is already the biggest organization in the world. There's already, like, over a billion of us naming the name of Jesus. The problem isn't numbers. The problem isn't money. The problem isn't... I'm the problem. I find it awkward to go to Rwanda. I find it awkward not to understand what they're saying. I find it awkward to go to Bulgaria. I find it so awkward and uncomfortable. Like the crosswalk hurts. It just is so uncomfortable to to embrace the cross. (laughs) You're supposed to do it every day? Can, I, can it just be like wisdom teeth where you just get it pulled out once and get doped up for a week and maybe barf up blood all over your couch one time, but that's it? I gotta do it every day. I gotta be filled with the Spirit every day. I just wanna I just wanna put it somewhere, have it stay there, dust it off every once in a while, call it perfect walk with Jesus. Up there on my shelf. Don't bump it. So on this Pentecost, wrapping things all together, 
this is what, this is what I want us to do. I, I want us to get that. What's, how do you pronounce up your act? Is that, is that good enough? Okay, sure. See, this is my cross-cultural part here. Getting up your act where you're, where you're, you're just like, where you get this thing going on here. And I, th- I think, I think we should aim to be radical disciples of Jesus. But not that, you know, we should, I want to be radical, like, like we're going to earn a badge someday. You know, I'm going to be a radical. I got this badge for radicalism, radical evangelism, radical giving. Look at my badges. Like, not that kind of, because in Canada, we're so good about making everything about us. You know? We're so good at it. We're, we're the best. Even that young lady who did an interview that's going to be on the prayer chat, I was chatting to her one time, and she's like, I'm so surprised at how good you guys are at thinking about yourselves all the time. It's just people in where I come from, we do not think about ourselves as much as you guys do. You're so good at always thinking about how, how you're doing or not doing. And I think that this is the good news, is that no matter how bad I talk about being Canadian Christians or even about myself, this is the gospel. The God of heaven who made everything and even applied judgments against us decided by pure grace to reach out to fallen and evil humanity through his son so that anybody can be forgiven of everything. And that by believing in his son Jesus, crucified for our sins and raised from the dead for our everlasting life, we can, by a sheer gift, be made right with God completely so that no human being will ever have the right to condemn you. No matter what your skin color is. Amen? How many people nowadays, we're going to fix this race problem by making people feel bad about their skin color. It won't work. The only thing that works is people righteous in the sight of God, filled with the faith and the hope and love that comes by the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that works. Not needing anything from any man because the God of heaven is your glorious Savior. Not needing anything from any man. You know what God said in Isaiah? He said, would you stop regarding man in whose nostrils is but breath? Of what account are they? When we're like, of a lot of account, I think. I think what people tweet is very important. It's rubbish and garbage. What people think is manure to be spread over the fields of hell to grow up. Nothing but demonic followers of Satan. It's worthless. Believe in what God says. Believe in what the Lord says. Be righteousified in His presence. And then seek Him for that spirit that already lives inside of you. That you would be free. Not the way people say free. Keep the pot stores open during the lockdown free. Free from sin free. Free from fear of man free. Free from fear of lost free. Free in the fear of God free. Be free to obey the Lord. 
And don't be afraid to die. Oh my goodness, I work on this so regularly. I'll stop myself as I'm going to put laundry in the laundry basket. I need to learn to not be afraid to die. If you're afraid to die, you can't follow Jesus. I'm sorry, it's true. If you're afraid to die, you cannot be a disciple of Christ. If we're afraid to die in this world and lose what we have, we already are not disciples of Jesus. And you're not free. And you're not powerful. And you're never going to love anybody more than yourself. So welcome to Pentecost. Tongues of fire. We're going to worship now. Because I have no idea how to end this message. So while the band's going to come up, I'm going to say one more thing. I don't think any Christian has the right to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I don't think any Christian has the right to be afraid of what the Holy Spirit can do and might do with your life if you surrender to Him. I don't think any Christian has the right to be timid around the Holy Spirit. Help me today. I'm sorry, you guys might have to just start playing. It happens. We're afraid of the Spirit. We're afraid to yield. We're afraid to submit. We're afraid of what He might ask us to do. We got no right. Who loves us more than the Spirit? Who has, even your best friends did not say to you, I love you so much, I want to live inside of you. The Spirit lives inside of us. The Spirit's inside of us to love us, to convince us of the good things He's done for us. The Spirit is our best friend you'll ever have until He brings you to see Jesus face to face. We've got no right to be timid or afraid in the Spirit. Why don't we start to hate that? You want to hate somebody? Hate your timidity to the Spirit. Hate your resistance to the Spirit. Say yes. Say whatever you want, whatever you want. I don't know how to hear the Spirit. He can fix that. You know who fixes whether or not you can hear the Spirit? The Spirit. I'm afraid of how the Spirit might lead me. You know who will set you free from that? The Spirit of God. I'm afraid I'm going to offend the Spirit with my sin. You know who set you free from being afraid of sinning against the Spirit? The Spirit of God does that. So let's trust Him. Let's trust Him. Let's give ourselves to Him for the glory of Christ. Amen.